Today is a bittersweet day. We are finishing up the Gospel of Luke. If you have been coming here for a while, you'll know that we started uh, preaching through Luke in November of 2019. That is how long it has taken us to get through one book. Uh, Praise the Lord for slowing down and taking our time and treating the Bible as though it is fine food and not fast food. That we put so much emphasis on what God wants to say to us that we are in no rush. And the beautiful thing is that that might seem like a long time, but this church was started in 1881. So a 142-year-old church, it reminds us that our lives might be short, but... Time is big. We are small. And so just taking a year or a little bit longer than that to go through a book of the Bible in the scope of things is not that long. Just say that to reassure you that I'm not a slow preacher. Um, We've got a few things. uh, So before we get into our next book, and if you're new here, we work our way through a book of the Bible at a time. And we do that so we don't skip the hard stuff. But also because I want it to be role modeled for you how to read your Bible in a healthy, thorough, and deeply meaningful way. A lot of you might be like me. I grew up in church and I knew Bible stories, but I didn't know how things worked together. I knew there was the story of Moses. I knew there was a story about an ark. I knew there was, you know, Samson. I knew there were stories, but I didn't know how the stories all went together. And what we try to do is show you what the meta-narrative is, right? The big picture. And how all of this is being weaved together by God to tell His story. The story of His redemption of His people. And then we find ourselves, you know, when I... Oftentimes, uh, the younger generation, which I can say now being 42, right? I can talk about the younger generation. Um, They're always trying to find themselves, And I've never found myself anywhere but in Scripture. And it wasn't that I found my name in the Bible. My name is in the Bible. Um, Just so you know that Caleb is Hebrew for dog. So it's not, (laughs) right? It's like my parents just named me, oh, this kid's just a dog. Um, But it wasn't me finding myself in Scripture as though I found my personality. But as when I discovered who my God and my Creator was, then I understood who I was. See, what we tend to do is we think by looking inward that we find and discover who we are. But I've looked inward for a long time, and I didn't find much. There's a saying in uh, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, wherever you go, there you are. I wish I would have known that earlier. When I was 18, I moved to California right after graduating high school because I was going to do big things. And I thought for sure that's where I was, and I wasn't there. And as I traveled abroad, I kept looking for myself, and it wasn't until I began to open up God's Word and the Holy Spirit worked within me that I found who I was. I am a child of God, created in the image of God to reflect Him to those around me. It's much less superficial than some personality trait that we might ascribe to ourselves, and then we determine who we are based upon that personality trait. You are more than your personality. So, saying all that, we have taken our time to work through Luke. Uh, The next couple of weeks, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We are going to spend, we're going to do the exact opposite of what we've been doing. Instead of taking a really long time to work through a book of the Bible, 
We're going to sum up Job in a week, and then we're going to sum up Jeremiah in a week. (laughs) And the elders laughed and said, you can't do that. (laughs) You move too slow. Uh, But we're going to do our best, right? And because that way, sometimes just having a snapshot of what that book is helps you as you begin to read it. To have a summary of what you're about to read before you jump in, right? I know men, we don't read instructions, but when you buy something, they give you instructions to kind of tell you, here's what the finished product should look like when you're done working with it. Sometimes we need that snapshot of what it is we're about to read before we read it. Now, my assumption is, is you will read Job and Jeremiah on your own. Uh, Then, after we do those two weeks, we are going to begin uh, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Ecclesiastes. So we were New Testament, now we're going Old Testament, right? And uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So, if you got your Bible this morning, we are going to move very quickly through a summary of what we have learned in Luke, and then how we should respond to what we have been learning and reading. So, Luke chapter 1 is where we'll start. We're going to hit the highlights, or what for me personally, this uh, last year and a half, almost two years, some of the highlights for me, and I don't know what the highlights were for you, um, hopefully you had something that as you mold over the gospel of Luke, that God began to speak to you. So Luke chapter 1, turn there with, with me if you would. If you got it, would you say I got it? Okay, just making sure, I didn't hear any pages, I didn't hear any pages. Luke chapter 1. So what is the theme? What are we supposed to learn from Luke? Well, one of the things that he tells us at the very beginning of what we should learn. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have, what does your Bible say? Certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. One of the purposes of the writing of the Gospel of Luke, Luke is a historian, he's writing as a historian, he's a physician by trade, but Luke is not an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. Luke knows the people who were eyewitnesses. And what he is doing, he's basically been hired to write a book report of the historical events that he has been watching very closely. So he's traveled around and he's interviewing and he's asking people, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? And this is one way that I've really connected with Luke because I am not a physical eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. And it's hard for something that happened 2,000 years ago to have a huge impact on your life. But here Luke is very similar. He didn't see... Jesus in the flesh, and neither have you. But his life was incredibly changed from the message. Now, he had the opportunity to interview eyewitnesses, people who were there. He got to meet the disciples who traveled with Jesus. In the same way, people's lives can be changed as they meet you, if you are a disciple of Jesus. But he writes so that you can have certainty. Oftentimes, we are confused that we think that the material world is more trustworthy than the immaterial world. Like, we're certain that this plate of crackers is here, right? But there are things that are material that aren't really trustworthy. Have you ever watched a movie 
and you loved it, and you went and told somebody, and they said, oh, I, I didn't like that movie at all. You both saw the same thing, but you have different opinions about it. Or what if uh, there's a trial or a court case, and they bring several different witnesses, and everybody tells what they saw, but they have a slight variation on it. Some people would say, well, is that trustworthy? There's so many things in the physical world that we seemingly trust, and we think this is foundation. But can I tell you, the immaterial things are actually more trustworthy than the material things. Whenever we see something in the material world, we kind of translate it and interpret it through our brain, and all our brains are different and have different filters in it. Your life experiences, your past, the way you were raised, your religion, your parents, all those things interpret the information differently. But the immaterial world, what I would call the spiritual world, is more trustworthy. You can know for certain that there is a God. You can absolutely know for certain. You say, well, Caleb, how can you say that? We, we can't see, I can't stick my heads up into the cloud. Romans tells us just by the way the world operates, we know that there is a God. You've heard me say this a hundred times before. Um, how much does the number four weigh? It's a silly question. There's no answer, right? How much does the number four weigh? If you think, I say, what color is the number nine? You say, Caleb, it doesn't, it doesn't have a color. Well, where is it? Where is the number nine? It doesn't exist in the material world. It exists outside of that. It's not in the natural. It supersedes the natural, supernatural, right? And so things like mathematics that the whole world operates on when the pews were built, they used numbers and they used angles to build that stuff. It relied upon something that is immaterial. As I'm preaching this morning, you hope, some of you are praying that my sermon is logical. You're hoping that what I say makes sense. Can anybody point me to where the rules of logic are stored? The universal rules of logic. Where are they? They don't exist in the material world. They are immaterial. Now, if I go to China and I say, hey, in the United States, two plus two is four. What is it here? They're going to look at me strange. They're going to say two plus two is four here as well. Why is that? Because there are things in this world that are immaterial. They are not made of any kind of matter. They are not a solid. They are not a liquid. They're not even a gas, right? They are immaterial but they are also universal. No matter where you travel in the world, the laws of logic and the laws of mathematics are exactly the same. And guess what? Tomorrow, 2 plus 2 will not be 5. Why is that? Because the laws of mathematics are immaterial, universal, and unchanging. Now, you only get a world that operates... Everything in this world operates on the rules of mathematics and logic and all of those things... You only get that if there is an immaterial, universal, unchanging God. Guess how many gods claim to have those abilities? The God of Scripture. The God of Scripture is the uncreated, unchanging, universal one. And so we can just look at the world around us and say, I am certain that there is a God, but how are we certain that God has spoken to us? How do you know how to live your life? How do you even know what's good and evil and right and wrong? Are you just going to go based upon your gut instincts? My guts are stupid, right? They get things wrong all the time. 
how am I going to know what is real? Because I don't have time for fairy tales. The last 10 years flew by and the next 10 years are going to fly by too. I don't have time to waste. How do I know what is real? Well, Luke says that there is a man that was killed and he came back to life. And what do you do with the guy you can't kill? You do whatever he says because he knows something you don't know. And so if this is verifiable and Luke is writing so that you can be certain, hey, the man Jesus Christ, his teachings validated, his life validated, his morality has been validated, you can know who you are and how to live. So Luke has written so that you can be certain. What is the point of studying Luke if we don't finish and feel more certain about our faith? The next thing I want us to focus on, Luke chapter 6, verse 27. We're going to be turning a little bit. I know that is not like us. We usually park somewhere for quite some time. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Luke is going to teach us. He's going to remind us of the teachings of Jesus regarding the poor and needy. Luke has a big focus on the poor and needy, and this is what he says. Luke 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear... Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. He finishes in verse 36. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. One of the highlights that Luke is really going to press in and like really pressure us into a very uncomfortable place because let's be honest, if we are to slow down and take our time, and we did when we went through this a year and a half ago, but as we read that, I hope it made all of us uncomfortable because it makes me uncomfortable to reread it again. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for people who hate you. Love people who do wrong to you. If someone steals your outer jacket, ask if they need your shirt as well. If someone steals from you, don't go ask for it back. What a ridiculous teaching that is. What a weird thing to say. It's contrary to everything that we think and believe. For us, might makes right. You take something from me, you've robbed me of something valuable. I need that. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, we tell them they're number one. Right? I always say, I'm a good Christian man, Tom, behind the wheel of a car. And my wife, the way I drive, sometimes makes her nervous. Husbands, you ever drive and your wife just goes, ah! <laughs> Right? You go, you can't do that. You'll make me wreck. She's like, I thought we were going to wreck. That's why I made that. I was like, no, your car's got turbo. Watch this. Right? And I get behind the wheel of a car, and all of a sudden, my tempers flare. And I get angry, and I get upset. 
why would you get upset if somebody makes you 45 seconds late to your destination? I mean, is there, am I the only one that has road rage from time to time? Like, you can get really mad. Like, it's crazy how mad you can get over something so little. Why is that? Because they disrespected you. They cut you off. It's a way of saying, you're not important. I don't value who you are or your car. I can just get right in front of you, and you should just let me in because I don't care. And we get upset because we feel like we were disrespected. Men, one of the greatest crimes someone can commit against you is to disrespect you. Respect is our love language, isn't it? We need to feel respected. The Bible says, husband, love your wives. You know, the Bible never says, wives, love your husbands. It says, wives, respect your husbands. Why? Because that's how we understand love. And so when someone cuts us off, they say, we don't even like you, let alone love you. We are disrespecting you. And we get angry at that emotion. It's crazy what Jesus says. If somebody hurts you, if somebody is mean to you, don't let it fester that anger in you and like, <gasps> because they're not the ones who tell you you're valuable. I am. They can take all your stuff. Don't let them change your attitude of love and kindness. Lost people can love their families. Lost people can love the people around them. They can do good. We're not called to act like lost people or just meet the basic minimum requirement for morality in our culture. We are called to rise above it. That means somebody is hateful and ugly and mean and disloyal to you. We don't go, well, I'm through with them. Let just go, let them, you know, whatever happens to them, let them happen. Good, they deserve it. We get on our knees and we say, God, thank you that people can disrespect me, hurt me, and take nothing from me. You can't take. Somebody else cannot take from you what they did not give you. God has given you his spirit and his truth and his life, and nobody can take that from you, right? So that should begin to reorient our brain around this person, Jesus, he's teaching something other people don't teach when he says things like that. What good is studying Luke if it doesn't make us more loving? Let's turn to chapter 9. Verse 23. Actually, yeah, 23 works. Luke is repeating the words of Jesus that he heard from the disciples on what it means to be a Christian. Verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. What good is it to gain the whole world and you lose your soul? Luke is teaching us how to be better followers. What is the point of the last year and a half, almost two years of studying Luke, if we haven't become 
better followers. I hope you notice there's a pattern I'm, I'm trying to develop here. As we have read, and for those of you who have been here, if you've been here for the whole time that we've been studying Luke, could you just raise your hand? I'm just curious. A, a, fair, a fair number of you, right? So we've been through this whole journey together of studying this book of the Bible. And I know there are good Sundays where you're here and you're attentive and there's bad Sundays and uh, you're just hungry and ready to go. I get that. Sometimes I'm hungry and ready to go too. But the point that we do this is not so that we can check off that we made it to church today. The reason that we are here is because I am desperate to hear truth in a world full of lies. I need something to build my house on. I need something to build my life on. And every TV channel is trying to sell me something, and every politician wants me to vote their way, and everybody I talk to has an agenda, and I don't know what's real anymore until I open up God's Word, and I can rest, and I know where my soul belongs, and I know how to live, and I know how to behave, and I know what direction I'm moving, because some people, have, they're grown adults who have spent their whole life lost because their compass is broken. And so we study through the book of the Bible to reorient your compass so you know what you're supposed to do and who you're supposed to be. Every Sunday I preach as a dying man to dying men and women the importance of God's word because in it is the life that we're hungry for. Amen? Like, look, last week y'all were talking to me left and right and we were Pentabaptist or whatever. Last week we were at it. I know it's a rainy Sunday morning, but... We're, I, look, I, let's go, let's go. I, I gave up coffee two days ago, and I'm, I need your help, all right? I'm, I'm decaffeinated and highly blessed. So what's the point of reading Luke if it doesn't make us better followers? Now let's turn to Luke 11, verse 37. All of Luke chapter 11 and 12 is kind of a warning not to simply be religious, Everybody's religious to some degree. Even atheists are religious. I, I find it funny. I was talking with somebody the other day, and uh, they asked what kind of church we are. And they're like, what denomination are you? And I say, well, we're a Southern Baptist church. Now, we don't have it on the building outside anywhere, but we are. We're not ashamed to be Southern Baptist. And in fact, if we were going to be technical, we are a Reformed, elder-led Southern Baptist church. And that sums up kind of the basics of who we are fairly well. Um, and th they were like, oh, I go to a non-denominational church because I don't really like denominations. Do you realize non-denominational is a denomination, <laughs> right? Like, it's the person that's like the atheist that says, well, I don't have any beliefs. I'm an atheist. Well, that's a belief, right? Like you believe something. You're going to build your house on something. And some people, the, the church scene and atmosphere is just a family, family tradition. What I've always loved about church planting. So this church, though it does date back to 1881, um, this was a new church plant in many ways. We came on board when there were six to eight people here on a Sunday morning, uh, about three years ago, I believe. And look around, look what God has done in just a few years in the midst of a pandemic, where we were basically just online for a full year. It's incredible what God has done, and we always want to give Him praise and glory for that. But what I love about a new start for a church 
is that very few of you, if any of you, well, there might be one or two of you who grew up in this church. I know, Gerald, you were baptized here, right? How, what year were you baptized here at this church? Do you remember? <laughs> that long ago, huh? <laughs> yeah, that long ago. But it was when it was back there. Was it back there? Yeah. In the, oh, it was right here? Okay, okay. So that was in the 60s when this place was built? I don't know. We don't do a time history right now. Yeah, you, you were baptized back there, weren't you, John? 1962, right? Oh, that's incredible. Thank you for your faithfulness. Praise God for that, for being here the whole time. Um, but the good thing about a church plant, when I grew up going to church, there were people who just went there because that's where their parents went, and that's just what they did on Sunday. It was the same reason they would just like, well, when we get home from Sunday, we watch this football. It, it's, it was no different, right? I would say, why do you love OSU? Well, my dad loved OSU. So I just grew up, it's just a family tradition. Your relationship with God, though I hope it's a family tradition, it has to be more than that. It has to be your belief. You can only survive so long on the faith of your parents. You have to have a faith of your own. This is the warning, Luke 11 Verse 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. We've talked a lot about Pharisees over this journey of Luke. Um, I, I have been careful. You, you won't hear me. I, I avoid politics because this is, there's a time and place for that, right? But what was the issue with the Pharisees? Because we actually owe a deal of gratitude to the Pharisees for the oral tradition of the Old Testament that they helped keep alive for so long. But eventually they started to see that there were some opportunities in politics, and so they got involved in politics, just maybe with good intentions. Hey, if we're involved in helping making the decisions, maybe we can protect our people a little bit better. And, and then they say, well, we're helping, but if we had a little bit more power, we could help more people and we could protect them so that they could worship freely. So they got deeper involved in politics. And before you know it, the scales tipped where it was no longer about God. They started to love the power of politics. This my friends, can I say this without you throwing things at me? This is becoming the evangelical movement. This is the direction. If we're not careful, if, if we don't stay closely to the words of God, where people are more concerned about who sits in a White House than who sits on the throne in heaven. I don't care. I don't care who's in the White House. I mean, I care. But it doesn't affect my soul. Who sits on the throne of heaven is who I'm after. That's who I want to encourage people to vote for, right? Okay, I made it through. All right, whew. Let's go. What good is it reading Luke if it doesn't make us more obedient? Luke 13, I'm going to, we don't have to go there, but Luke tells us that repentance is not an option. It's fundamental to being a Christian. We don't understand repentance much anymore, but it is a necessity. It is a precursor to belief. 
we have to ask God for forgiveness of our sins and repent for him to come and live and dwell within us. We're not a culture that likes to talk about repentance. We don't want to correct anybody. We don't want to say, hey, maybe this isn't right. We don't want to do that anymore. But it is a part central to the gospel message. Luke 19, verse 28. We're almost there, okay? I know this is a lot of flipping. We're covering a lot of ground. It's a summary. 1928. You know what? I'm not going to read the whole story for time's sake. Uh, look down to verse 38. Luke 19, verse 38. The disciples are saying, Blessed is the, what's your Bible say? king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So as Jesus is making his triumphal entry and he's fulfilling the prophecy of riding on a colt, the disciples begin to shout out, here comes the king. And the Pharisees are like, uh, we actually have a king. And you're going to get us all killed if you keep up this talk. Because Caesar is Lord right now, guys. I don't know if anybody told you, but Caesar's Lord. Jesus is a good teacher. We like Jesus. He's saying some nice things. We love the Torah, too. It's all great. But, but Caesar's Lord. And if you keep saying Jesus is king and Jesus is Lord, you're going to get us all killed. And the disciples are like, yeah, but he is. So we can't really stop. And Jesus says, hey, if you tell them to stop, I'll make rocks start singing, <laughs> right? Then people are going to be really confused. And what does this mean? I always was confused by that because I'm a visual person. I have a vivid imagination. So in my head, I just thought like, like the pet rocks as a kid with googly eyes would appear and they would start singing, Jesus is Lord, right? And I was like, what is happening? What, what did he mean? But do you know that the Jews, in anticipation of someday of the Messiah coming and reclaiming Jerusalem, would ask for themselves to be buried outside of Jerusalem. And they would mark the graves by rocks. So for him to say the rocks will testify, is saying like, look, if I wanted to, I could bring all these people alive who've been waiting for me. We'll march in there together. Jesus is telling them, I am the king. Studying Luke, Jesus is the king. What good is studying Luke if he is not the king of our lives? What good have we done if we have spent all this time, and all this effort, and <laughs> all these months studying if he has not shown that he is worthy to be the king of our hearts? Luke 22, see we're getting close to the end, Luke 22, verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest, and he said to them, the king of the Gentiles exercises lordship over them and those in authority, over them they are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is he who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Jesus had just got done telling his disciples that he was about to die. And their first response is, um, 
so which one of us do you like the most? Like, which one of us is really the best? It would be as though a father came to his children and says, hey, guys, I have a terminal illness. I only have a short time left. And they said, oh, that stinks. Who gets the most money in your will? Like, who's going to get the most stuff? Because I really like your boat. Studying Luke should humble us. We are the Pharisees. We are the disciples. We are the ones who always get it wrong. The stories of the disciples, the adventures in missing the point. And we, we live the same way. I, I, I grow, but I grow stubbornly. I, one of my favorite books I read when I was a new believer, because when I was a new believer, I swung, like it's so tempting, but you, you swing over to legalism. Because I had lived without boundaries, and all of a sudden there was these new boundaries, and everybody better follow my boundaries. You swing towards legalism. Somebody gave me a book called Messy Spirituality by Mike Iaconelli. I highly recommend it. It's a very short, very simple book. It just reminded me that growth is messy. Just aim the right direction. Be persistent in your prayer and your study. Allow God to do work. It's going to get ugly at times. You're going to get frustrated. But allow him who started a good work in you to finish it. Studying Luke should remind us to be humble. How does Luke end? That's where we're at. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. We'll read this. I'll make one more point, and then we are done with the book of Luke. I've had a hard time figuring out what to do with myself. I stared at my screen like for half the week trying to figure out, you know, when you've spent so long in a book of the Bible, I always have this love-hate relationship with ending it um, because I, I feel like we've all grown to know this story well. Luke 24, verse 44. If you got it, what'd you say? I got it. Okay. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Jesus had risen from the dead. He opened up their minds to see that all of Scripture had been leading up to Jesus Christ. And then he leaves this plane of existence to return to where he is rightfully worshipped and known as God by all the angels and heavenly beings. Waiting for the day that he returns and he restores you and me, our loved ones, our bodies, this planet, everything back to the way it was meant to be. It is the great reversal. We're on our way back to the Garden of Eden, but it won't be just the garden anymore. It'll be the city of God. Who's been doing the work? Not you or I. Christ has been building. He is active, and they rightfully worship. Luke ends with people worshiping and praising God. 
How do we respond to finishing reading the Gospel of Luke? We respond the same way the people who heard it did. We respond with worship and praising the goodness of God. Amen? I had about another 20 minutes worth of notes on what it means to worship. Let's go! (laughs) Uh, Maybe we'll save that for next week and delay the book of Job. But I really, I I love the book of Job. I think a lot of people misunderstand it, so you'll be excited um, to hear that. Um, I'm going to give a time of response. Let me ask you this question. How do we respond to a summary of Scripture? For most of you, let's be honest. Sermons have changed your life very little. Like, I don't remember sermons I heard when I was a kid. I might remember one or two little phrases that had a meaningful impact on my life. But there might be a sermon here or there that challenged you or changed you or kind of moved your compass. What I want to do is to call you to do several things. Read the book of Luke on your own. You have been taught and trained now how to do it. You have been role modeled how to study and read at least one book of the Bible. If you missed a week, all of our stuff is online. You can find every sermon. I have every sermon, oh gosh, uh, for at least the last 12 years, I have kept every sermon that I've preached. So if you ever have a hard time going to sleep, just met, I'll send you one. I'm like, this one's awful. This will knock you right out, right? But I do that, so sometimes I'll go back and I'll remind myself of things that I had forgotten that were good. There were things that you heard on a Sunday sermon, and you go, oh man, I need to hear that. And then three weeks later, you already forgot it. Some of you take notes, and that's great. Note takers, you ever just open up, and you scroll back through, and you go, oh man, I, I remember that. You are now accountable for knowing how to read and study Scripture. It has been role modeled for you. It has been exampled for you. Now you're accountable. And you have to go and do likewise. No more can we use it as excuse. Ah, the Bible's hard. I don't know how to understand it. You know how to understand one book. Read that book. Read Luke. Go back through it. No, ah, the Bible's too hard. It was too long ago. I don't know the characters. We talked about all the characters in Luke. I mean, we took almost two years. If I have to go longer than that, we will, <laughs> right? But you should have a good idea. And what I want us to do is get rid of the excuses that it's too hard. What awaits for you in that book will change you. That book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from that book. The words of God are life that renew our souls and our hearts that give us what we need, sometimes even when we don't know it. I'm going to pray. I talked a lot. We're going to ask God to bless this time. We're going to ask God that he would bless the reading of the words in your lives. The band's going to come and play. Just take this time of response. However God has worked through your life and grown you through the book of Luke, I want you to say, God, don't let me forget it. Maybe you need to go and make some notes like I did. Just do a little summary. Skim through it and say, you know what? These are the things I wrote. I don't know if if you ever kind of flip through my Bible, you'll notice there's just things written all over the margins because I have a short memory. 
I, I, I don't remember things for very long. I've forgotten half your names. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> isn't that right, Bob? Um, I've forgotten. I, I forget a lot, so I have to mark it in my Bible. And then as I'm just regularly just breezing through, I go, oh, my gosh, I forgot how good God was good when he taught me these things. 